0: You're listening to the Elevate Your Brand Podcast, where we talk to some of the smartest entrepreneurs and fastest-growing brands in the market today. I'm your host, Laurel Mintz, a reformed corporate M&A attorney who founded award-winning LA-based marketing agency, Elevate My Brand. We've elevated some of the world's biggest brands from Facebook, Paw Patrol, and Verizon to innovative startups you haven't even heard of yet. Are you ready to elevate your brand? Keep listening. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Elevate Your Brand. I, of course, am your host, Laurel Mintz, and I am joined today by Dr. Maria Viola Sanchez, who is the founder and president of Stop the Cut Now, which is an organization that is focused on eradicating female genital mutilation. So this is going to be a very serious conversation, but a really, really important one. Dr. Sanchez, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much, Laurel. It's an honor to be here. I'm a fan of your work and I thank you so much for including me in on your programming.
0: Well, it is absolutely my honor to have this conversation. I uh, was only made aware of this as as an issue a few years ago. I think in the Western world, we're not really made aware of a lot of what's happening and it is happening here as well, but why don't you give us a little bit of the history and background of this absolutely horrific experience?
1: So I just do want to let your listeners know that what we're going to be talking about is sensitive, and it could be a little uncomfortable. And that's a warning I give anytime I make a presentation, because female genital mutilation is a centuries old practice. It predates all religions. It is not medically or religiously mandated. And 200 million Females who are alive today have been cut. Wow. So we're talking about a staggering large population and it is global. As you mentioned, Laurel, it happens everywhere. And what surprises people the most, because we don't know about it is that it happens in the United States. It happens in the United Kingdom. It happens in the European union and for example, in the United States, there's over a half a million girls that have been cut. And California <sighs> happens to have the largest population of those females that have experienced female genital mutilation.
0: Really? I had no idea it was so prevalent here.
1: Yes. And <sighs> it's what's interesting about the phenomenon is there are four different types of cuts and if I may, I'll explain.
0: I'm basically stay quiet for most of this conversation because there's so much education that our audience needs to know about this. And obviously, this has been your life's work. So please tell us all of the different things. And then, of course, at the end of it, how we can get involved and, and make change possible. Please.
1: Laurel, you're so gracious. Thank you very much. Uh, so there are four types of female genital mutilation. And by the way, the girls that experience it, they're usually from six months of age to 15 years old. It's always done without their consent. It's usually perpetuated by the females in the family. And that's the sad part about it is that the very women that gave birth to these girls are the ones that are participating in the cutting procedure. There's no anesthetic that's administered. It's often done in the bush, on dirt, (sighs) with scissors, razor blades, shards of glass. And, of course, the side effects are tremendous shock, sepsis, bleeding, death, difficulty urinating and menstruating. And, of course, intercourse is almost nearly impossible.
0: Well, not to mention the long term. Uh, mental uh, hold this must take on those, those women. Oh my God.
1: Yes. The psychological ramifications are usually lifelong. One survivor that I spoke with, she said that, and she was pinned down. She was six or seven years of age. She remembers quite a bit of it. A lot of them go into shock and our pass out. But um, she said, as my mother was pinning, they have to pin down both arms and both legs to get access to their genitals. And she said, I'm looking at my mother. I'm screaming and crying and thinking to myself, why aren't you protecting me from this? And then she did black out at some point. And when she came to in the most severe phase of the procedure, which I'll go back into, they bind their legs from the ankles up to the thighs so that the cut tissue can then, heal and scar and adhere to itself. And her mom would bring her something like soup to, to drink. They don't want them to have much food or liquid because it's difficult to urinate and defecate. And she said, my mom put the spoon to my mouth to give me something. And I spat it back in her face because I was so angry with her. How dare she do this to me? So to your point, Laurel, the psychological ramifications are horrific. As you might imagine, I have a daughter. So I and I and I have three sons. And I, to think that we would do this to those that we love the most is really horrific.
0: Can you un- help us unpack that? I, 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 it's so horrific. It's hard even to find words to discuss it. And I know that this is your life's work again. So you're comfortable in this conversation. I'm Super uncomfortable, but that's exactly why we need to be talking about this, because it needs to be more prevalent in terms of our knowledge base of how to stop this or how to support organizations like yours that are working to stop the cut. So take us through the thought process of these parents or or, uh, how I don't understand. I don't understand. Where does this come from? Why? Why? Uh,
1: (laughs) So by and large, it's cultural and it's traditional. And the reasons for doing it are to sublimate a woman's sexuality to get a higher dowry, to make sure that a man is marrying a virgin and to sublimate any kind of uh, pleasure from having sex.
0: Wow. And are there specific cultures where this is more prevalent? Cause again, this is the first time I'm having a conversation uh, this in this depth about this topic this is not something that i i come across very often if ever in my life so i would just love to understand like where we should be looking for these as issue like wow i need more information i'm it's so disturbing <laughs> to, you could hear it in my voice like you if you've heard my show before you know yes. <laughs> very upbeat and joyful in these conversations but i just this is so serious
1: and i want you to know how grateful i am that you're giving me your visceral your visceral reactions because it is, that's why I said it is uncomfortable. And I believe that's one of the reasons that nothing has been done about the eradication of it because no one wants to talk about it. They don't want to hear yeah. about it. They don't want to know about it. You know, I actually had a physician that I was visiting with and he said, so, so what are you doing? And I casually enter into the conversation and he was like, female, gentle, mutilation. Those three words shouldn't be strung together. This is a physician, a surgeon. He reels back until he hits the wall in the office. And he said, I just can't comprehend this. And so your reaction is not unlike many. And that's kind of what makes my mission very difficult is it's so needed and yet it's so difficult.
0: Yeah, I understand that
1: it's formats like yours that are giving me a platform upon which to share because I don't have any, if this is terrible to say, but skin in the game or any dog in that race, because it doesn't affect me, my culture, my family. It's, it's, but when, so I've been a talk radio host for over 25 years and I was on NPR in the late nineties and I had a guest on the program. My producers had arranged for him to visit with us to talk about cutting because it was in the news. And that was the first mm. time I learned about it was in the late nineties. And I was like, just like you, like, what, what, what? And so I just went about my life and it is on the radar of the United Nations on the World Health Organization UNICEF, to name three prominent entities. Mm -hmm. In fact, the United Nations, every February 6th, they host the International Day of Zero Tolerance for Female Genital Mutilation, which I have attended. I was there in February of 2020, right before COVID, at the United Nations to honor this day. There were less than a 100 of us in the room. It's an international day of zero tolerance. And that is what Really bothered me over the decades. I was like, surely somebody's going to do something about this. Surely somebody's going to take care of this. Really, you have the resources, you have the megaphone, you have the platform, but nobody's doing it. So that's actually my anger at the fact that every 11 seconds somewhere in the world, a girl is being cut, weighs on my shoulders heavily. Because I think that every minute that we're not doing something, that's six girls that have been cut. And yes, I finally decided that I'm going to do something about it. So I founded my tax exempt 501 C three nonprofit foundation to eradicate it. And the, here's the good news. There is some good news in this. I have my PhD in media psychology and the title of my dissertation was to eradicate female genital mutilation And Laurel, you'll love to hear this. I used two podcasts to test what is it that is going to move people off the dime? And the single answer was education and awareness.
0: Absolutely. And that's exactly what we're having on the podcast today. But I feel like I'm missing something. What was the moment? Because you had this person on your show. You started getting involved. But where was the moment of realization? Like, if not me, who? If not now, when? And when was that like your over aha moment? When was that?
1: It was probably when I was working on my dissertation and I was casting about for success stories and they were few and far between. And I, I kept thinking when you have 200 million girls who are alive today, so that doesn't count how many have passed away, that have experienced this and nobody's doing anything about it. And uh, think about how persuasive, well, you know it, Laurel, media is so persuasive in Mm -hmm. creating awareness and branding and getting the word out and motivating people. And I even used the Me Too movement in my dissertation. Look at how that got us moving forward on that sort of atrocity. So that's when I got the results from my dissertation. It got published. And I said to myself, "Okay, I guess it's going to be my responsibility. I'm done sitting on the sidelines waiting for somebody to take care of this. And as I said, the burden of the girls that keep enduring it, because there's all this inaction, people say, oh, it's terrible. tiss tiss, isn't that a shame? How, oh my, here in the United States, wow, really? And the irony about the United States is there are 10 states and the District of Columbia that don't outlaw it yet with legislation. Huh.
0: So that means that if someone were to be caught, that they wouldn't be uh, prosecuted for it. Correct.
1: Right. Because it's not against the law. And so there is a federal law that got signed into existence on January 5th, 2021. So it didn't get any publicity because of what happened the next day. So there's a federal law, but state laws are needed because that's really where the crimes can get prosecuted successfully. Right. And that's the action. Right. And so what I do too, is I uh, lobby for legislation. I'm working right now with legislators in California because the rule that we have right now is terrible. It's slip There's no accountability. They're supposed to reporting numbers. No numbers have been reported since it went into effect in 1996. So I'm literally working right now with legislatures to get it sharper in the state of California. And the District of Columbia called me last year to be an expert witness because they're grappling with legislation. That was February of 2022. They still haven't done anything.
0: That's absolutely terrible. Well, I had to imagine, of course, you have to be involved with the legislative action because that's how, from state by state, this actually gets implemented and um, realized into law. But to your point, it it really is about implementation and the policing of it, which is very, very challenging. correct. Um, so let's talk about what we can do as uh, you know somewhat of outsiders looking into this major issue. How can we get involved and how can we support?
1: So the best way you can start, which doesn't benefit me except for I uh, part of the my website is about education and awareness. So some of the statistics that I mentioned during our conversation are there. And it, it helps because, it, and my website also is user-friendly in that much, most of it is animated.
0: Yeah, it's actually a, a beautiful web, the marketer and me, I really appreciate it. For, <laughs> I, I want to say that for a hot second since this is such a serious topic, but I do want to say the site is beautiful, very functional and easy to navigate and you have so much important and valuable information on it. So uh, if you're interested in learning more, go to stopthecutnow.org. There's a big old donate button in the upper right hand corner and I'm actually clicking on it right now.
1: Oh, you're so sweet, Laurel. I because this is it's an a family systems issue, but ultimately it boils down to females and ultimately I think it's women that are going to help the eradication cause and it might be mothers and it might be daughters and it might be friends and it might be wives and it might be sisters and whatever But I think it's the, because believe me, there are men that are against it. Uh, There's an imam here in the United States that is the head imam of the Muslim religion. And he says that do not harm is a part of Islam. He said, so Islam doesn't promote it. There are some Muslim sects that do promote it, but there are also Christian sects. There's a woman in Kentucky, white Christian woman, that was cut in Kentucky, and she went to legislators and they introduced the law. And it's been in effect for about three years. It's named after her, Jenny's Law, that she got it outlawed in Kentucky. So that's what I'm saying wow. is some of this is grassroots and granule, mm-hmm. but some of it, it is what I know from everything that I've done and from my dissertation and from my data and from my results is to throw money at it because that's what you need to create the education and awareness. And ultimately, what I found is when people know they want to help, they want to donate, they want to volunteer, they want to post it on social media, they want to do something once they have the information.
0: I mean, you can't help but want to have impact in this. I mean, this is, I think this might be the most serious conversation we've ever had on the podcast. And I'm, again, honored to be in the dialogue with you because, I feel like I'm getting an education in a category. I had no idea this was as big an issue as it is. Um, So again, thank you so much for the time. And also, of course, thank you for the the hard work that you're doing. Um, I'd love to uh, hear some of the positives, like some of the, the, the things that you've seen out in the world. I know you've been doing this work for a long time. Do we have any stories of success that you could share with our audience?
1: So there, for example, there is a Maasai tribe in Africa, and they used to cut... And one of the girls in the tribe, when she learned about the cutting, she ran away from the tribe and hid for a couple of years. And when she came back, she went to her grandfather and begged him, please, to not send her to be cut. And he agreed. And she was young. She was about 15 or so. So she started a movement within the Maasai tribe to stop them from cutting as a community. She was the first female that ever met with the elders first ever of the Maasai tribe and got them to agree to stop cutting. Then the Maasai cricket players who are rock stars in their world agreed to Mm -hmm. join in a media campaign. I will not marry a cut woman. And so all of that confluence created. Now the Maasais are about one to 2 million people. So we're talking to small but the point is, they moved the needle. They, they made mm-hmm. it happen. It's obsolete now. And that's what gives me hope, is knowing there is an opportunity to create change.
0: Yeah. Wow. Well, um, any other stories or any other pieces of information you think our audience needs to, to know. Usually I do I flip the script and we have a very human conversation about your likes and needs and all of that. I just don't think it's appropriate given the topic. I really want this to sink in with our audience and sit with them and for everyone listening in to take action. Truly, that's my, my hope for this conversation. But is there anything else that you want to share with our audience today?
1: I do. Um, uh, thank you, Laurel. Of the four types of cutting, three of them involve cutting off the clitoris. So so they cut off the clitoris in type one. In type two, they cut off the clitoris and the labia minora and the labia majora. And in type three, they do all of that. And then they stitch them closed, leaving an opening the size of a Q-tip with which to urinate and menstruate. That's the most severe one. There is a French physician that created a procedure that is called Clitoral Restoration Surgery, CRS, he has successfully been able to have survivors access a clitoris because what we see on the outside, there's still more underneath that cannot be mm-hmm. seen. There is a physician in San Francisco that studied under him. They both do these procedures for free. They travel the world They do it here. The woman does it here in the United States, uh, as well as throughout the world. All they charge for is the anesthesia and the OR, and women who have had the procedure have been able to regain their sexuality.
0: Incredible. Well, um, I can't thank you enough for sharing your message with our audience today. Again, for those of you listening in, please go to StopTheCutNow.org, make a donation, get involved. Dr. Sanchez, thank you so much for this really important conversation and of course for the invaluable work that you're doing to make this a non-issue hopefully in the near future.
1: From your mouth to God's ear. Laurel, thank you so much. I'm so what my grateful. Says. <laughs> so grateful. Thank you.
0: We're grateful to you. It's with you know without leaders like you in the world, I wouldn't even know about this really and wouldn't able to be able to Make a small difference with a few dollars to uh, help you make a bigger impact globally. So, again, thank you. Again, go to stopthecutnow.org to make a donation today. All right, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Very serious, but very important conversation. Uh, please get involved, donate, and uh, follow along in this journey. And of course, stay tuned for more from Elevate Your Brand coming up next.